It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Welcome to another episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. I am your host. My name is Mike Bernard. Thanks for being with us. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. Across from me in the KFG studios, certified financial planner Kevin Corhorn. Between us, special guest Diane Bennett. Are you intrigued by the continued strength of the housing market? Is now the right time to buy or sell? We're glad to welcome back special friend and guest, Diane Bennett, who's a realtor at REMAX 100, Inspired Homes, to hear her update of the housing market and how that impacts you. I'm actually most excited. Kevin's finally getting over his cold, and yeah. he sounds more like a radio show star now. Well, so. yeah. Glad I, to have my, the real Kevin back. Yeah, my fans have been very, very concerned <laughs> about my condition, Mike, as it's gone. This um, typhoid diphtheria combination has uh, has uh, lingered uh, along with the yellow fever for about uh, three weeks now, so we're hopefully we'll... Uh, be back to skating at full strength soon. There you go. So we've got a couple of questions from fans of the show about, well, one about, hey, we just sold because the housing market's so high, and another person who's looking to buy, and we're hoping to get Diane's in, input on that. If you have questions, reach out to us. You can do so in a couple different ways. Call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Find us online, wisemoneyradio.com. You can also find us all over social media, the YouTube channel's right there. Every episode's right there. You can catch up on it. Just search Wise Money Radio, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Well, the housing market continues to get a whole bunch of attention. You've all heard the stories of people with bidding wars and all that sort of stuff. But here's a question. So does that mean it's time to sell? Is it time to buy? What will interest rates do to all of this? And what about the new construction? I'm, I'm curious to ask Diane about that later in the program, all the new construction that we're seeing. So we're diving into all that with special guest Diane Bennett. She's a great friend of ours. And uh, before we dive in, even though she's sort of a regular on the Wise Money Show, why don't you introduce us? yourself to us. Not a problem. Good morning and thanks for having me. My name is Diane Bennett. I'm a realtor with REMAX 100 in Indiana and Inspired Homes in Michigan. Our team of 11 serves in both states and we love to help people who have questions about buying, selling, and all, all that goes with residential real estate. 11 team members. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. That's something um, that is extremely important and very helpful about your team. So, all right, we're going to dive right in. Is now the time to sell your house? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I probably would say yes, that anytime. Yeah. Um, absolutely. It is a great time to sell your home. Um, I can tell you that there are a lot of people that think, oh, because it's a great time to sell, I'm just going to go up on market. It's going to be easy. You still have to do all the right things. Ah, really? You still have to do all the right so things. So what are the right things? So I would I would first recommend that you hire a experienced realtor who has, you know, 
the knowledge, the experience, mm-hmm. and the high integrity to advise you well. Mm-hmm. You there's certain price ranges that do still have more of a seller's market than other price ranges. So mm-hmm. your price range depends. If you overprice, you're going to sit. Even though, really, yes, if you're too high, the buyers go in and they question it, and their agents question your price, and they as, assume you're greedy. As an outsider here, that you know, just in hearing all of the stories and how quickly things are selling, it's sort of, I don't know, sort of refreshing to hear that that's still happening. You just, it just, I, I want to make sure, or I'm just cautious on the lookout for is this another 0607 where people really don't care. Uh, about what the price is, so it's it's sort of it's refreshing to hear you say that there's still um, uh, some quality control, I guess, on the on the price. So we're also seeing a lot of um, appraisal issues if it is too high. Really? So even if it goes up over appraised price, mm-hmm. the appraisers have to back up the the price with the past sales. Yeah, right. So if someone can pay over appraised price. They're helping increase all the values around them, and some people can do that. In certain price ranges, that's a little bit harder. We actually had eight offers on one home, three of which were significantly over asking price. I asked the appraiser if we could present the spreadsheet of all eight to him. And, yeah, he's like, no, it doesn't really matter. I have to prove past sales. I have to share past sales. So it just at the risk of hopping on a little soapbox here, it, it does seem crazy to me that an appraiser is going tells you what the value is. Yeah. When last time I checked, the value is what a willing buyer is willing to pay for something. <laughs> so isn't it funny if when you say it out loud, you think, is that really the way it works? But yeah, it really is the way it works, isn't it? I could be on a soapbox. I don't want to be on a no, soapbox, yeah. so, but I, I would love to see them be able to use things like our spreadsheets that clearly... The market is is demanding that this house be more a higher price. So, re- just a quick question then. So, if if I go to buy a house and it doesn't appraise, and I'm doing a twenty percent down program, w- what is my option now? Who's who's on the hook if I if I put my earnest money down, I put in my offer, the offer has been accepted, but the appraisal doesn't support the numbers, what do we do? So it depends on how you wrote the offer. If you're in competition and your agent recommended that you write over appraised price so that you'd win it, then you've already agreed to ahead of time. Okay. It's always negotiable. The contract, the state contract in Indiana, the Michigan contract doesn't talk about appraisal. The Indiana um, purchase agreement does talk about the appraised price and it must appra- must appraise if an appraisal is done. We actually write that into our Michigan contracts. Not every agent does. Mm. And so it has to appraise or the sale doesn't have to go through so the parties can renegotiate. The parties can decide if they want to go through. You know, if it didn't appraise for you, it might not appraise for the next buyer. Is it possible that someone with just cash can come in and say, I don't care if it appraises? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Right. So the appraisal we do see that. is important so that the buyer maybe, I don't know, can rethink their number. But at the same time, it's whatever they were they agreed upon with the seller. It's just the bank then. If they're gonna if the they're gonna front is the money, for the bank, right? If the they're gonna front the, the money, they want to make sure. But if that. I'm a seller and I have an offer that I've accepted, I I probably shouldn't go out and spend that money yet. Because it, it, the you're not closed until you're closed, right? Correct. So the because yeah. so, the appraisal could kill the deal. Absolutely, and it does happen, and we have seen things go back on market. So. Yeah. 
Mm. But it's strong. Like you said, I mean, even the brief story, you right. said there are eight offers on this one house, right? And that's a price range thing. Yeah. You know, there's not that in every price range. That's, you know, the lower price range. And I can also tell you that that's part of the reason you don't want to navigate this alone. There's people that think, oh, because it's a seller's market, I don't need an agent to help me. You may not need a, an agent to get sold, yeah. but to sift between multiple offers you do, to navigate that process in between with negotiating repairs and negotiating appraisal and stuff like that, I would hire an agent. I would not do this alone. Well, the other thing that you mentioned is if you're priced too high, then people, um, you know, they'll sniff that out. But however, if you've been in your house for 10 or 15 years, you know the market's up, but you really don't have a great sense for what the value of your house is. So you need to talk to an experienced realtor who can come in and show you comps and say, hey, here's where I think we need to price. That price will likely surprise you. But if you're just going alone, you might way underprice or might way overprice. Talk a little bit about the process of someone who says, yep, now is the time to buy. Diane and the Inspire team, that's who I need to go with. So they, they, they reach out to you. What's the process like from there for a seller? Great question. So when they call us, we're going to set them up with one of the agents on the team that has bandwidth for mm-hmm. a new listing and is maybe a good personality fit for you or an area specialist in that particular price range or area of town, et cetera. And so we'll go out on a listing appointment. We study the comparable sales in that area and bring that data with us. And then we walk them through the entire process Here's you know here's when we should go up. Here's the price at which you should go up. Here's our stager and the things you should do to get the home ready to sell. Here's our photographer. And we walk you through every single step of the way. And I can tell you, I showed a house yesterday that my buyer thought, if this was perfect and pristine like the first house we saw, it was worth the price. But it was tired. Wow. It was a tired house. And buyers want it perfect. They don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. So... Very, very interesting. I'm curious about what role, you know, I'm a geek. You guys all know that. You know, Kevin's, oh, yes. Kevin's the funny one. Josh's the smart one. I'm the geek. Laugh a minute. Um, but uh, I'm curious what interest rates, rising interest rates, could do to mortgage, price, to, to mortgage uh, rates and mortgage payments and what that could do to the housing market. So I've got that question as well as the big issue with some of the booming construction around town. I'm not sure if you've seen this, but my eyes are wide open. In the last 15 years, it seems like more construction is happening right now in this area than any time in the past 15 years. So that and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What impact will rising interest rates have on the housing market? I'm curious about that. It impacts mortgage payments. It certainly impacts the economy. I'm assuming you're curious about that, too. We've got that and more coming up. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group coming to you from the world headquarters of Corhorn Financial Group and the KFG Studios. My name's Mike. I've got Kevin Corhorn with me and special guest, Realtor Diane Bennett. Thanks for being with us. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, as well as First State Bank for making the Wise Money Show possible. Today, we are getting Diane's State of the Housing Market Address. And uh-huh. we are talking about buying, or excuse me, selling. We're going to be talking about buying here in just a minute and have some questions. If you have questions for us, you can reach us a couple different ways. 574-222-2000. You can call or text 574 574- Two 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 thousand online wisemoneyradio.com and YouTube, Facebook, Twitter at Wise Money Radio. Let's pick it back up with interest rates, Diane. 
So, Kevin, the, you you just saw some data on what interest rates. Yeah, hot off the presses here. Mortgage rates continued their upward march this week, extending the most prolonged increase in rates in 46 years. That is crazy. So, mortgage rates are kind of standing on end. A, a year ago, the 15-year mortgage was at about three percent, and now it's at about three point eight percent. Now, it's a national average, so it's going to be different mm-hmm. depending on institutions and whatnot. But if you a good barometer, it's not a perfect barometer, but a decent barometer is to kind of keep your eye on the 10-year Treasury note yeah. because whatever the vector of that is, that's likely where mortgage rates are headed. But that's geek speak. So have we seen... The, I'm glad you called that geek speak. It is. It have, that, a lot of that's over <laughs> my head. I work with so buyers are, and sellers. So these rising interest rates, have they impacted the housing market yet? And what do we think about it moving forward? So I can't tell you if I think it's all about the interest rates because, you know, they are higher, but they still are ranging down to 4.625 to 5.25 in our immediate area is what my um, mortgage, my preferred mortgage lender that I call the most just texted me this morning because I wanted the most recent update. Okay, great. And and he says that's the seven-year high for our area. So but it that's might still be the crazy low. That's still lower, crazy low. lower. My my first house, and I, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, you know, I'm I'm not that old. I, my first house was just under seven percent, and I thought I was getting a good deal. Mm-hmm. I remember helping a client get a mortgage for six point two five percent, and telling them you'll likely never, you'll be telling your friends about this because no one will ever see a mortgage rate like this. Again, yeah, right. So, so, so they're still crazy low, yeah, and it's still a great time to buy. It and, is, and so, but you haven't. I mean, as far as activity, have we seen? Do you know? Have we seen activity pick up in our area year over year, or has it stayed the same? Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, the, it's picked up in our area. Um, th- th- we're also seasonal, though, and I feel like the the buying season in the South Bend, St. Joe County, Elkhart County, Southern Michigan area typically kind of slows by May. So we're oh. kind of past peak Whoa. in general, which is not a big deal. We sell mm-hmm. houses 12 months a year. I sell yeah. houses in November, December, January all the time. No big deal. But it is not the spring selling season. We're not seeing as many showings on brand new listings. We're not seeing as many offers. It's just that's just what happens typically in May and June. It kind of, you know, people mm-hmm. think May, June is still prime selling season. And we do sell a lot of homes in May and June. I'm, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. We sell a lot of homes in May and June, but it is not as crazy as March and April were. Yeah. It's just not. I, that's my sense as well. Interest rates going up, I I would think that the housing market might slow down a bit, and it's, it really hasn't. Seasonally, it slowed down from a couple months ago, but it's still activity-wise, it's up. So, okay, so here's the question, and I, I purposely didn't put these two together. So if it's a great time to sell, does that mean it's a terrible time to buy? No, it really doesn't because the low interest rates. You can still get a good deal in a house. Yeah. yeah. So you, you need to be patient. Um, went on a listing appointment on, I guess it was Saturday, and they are considering selling. And is it the time to buy first? It just depends on your scenario. If you need to sell first before you buy, but you're not sure you can find your buy, yeah. this family needs to look at, is there interim housing they can live in? Or because what they have is a pretty great high-demand type of property, could we put theirs up with a contingency of this is only if we can find something? Are you seeing more contingencies right now? 
contingencies for buyers are are rare because they can go pick the next buyer. More th- at this time, contingencies for I don't want to sell unless I find. Exactly. And and, and sellers are a little afraid to do that. Well, who's going to want to buy my house if I do that? So sellers are a little bit fearful of doing it. And it's not as easily snapped up mm-hmm. as the one that doesn't put that. So the best scenario is if you know you've got an interim place to go. That's yeah. the best scenario. Or if you're in the luxury position of being able to buy without selling, which I have other clients that can do that. They can go out and find what they want. And they know theirs is going to sell quickly. If, if you're in the financial position that you can do that, great. But don't just assume that your house is one of the ones that's going to go. Mm-hmm. You need to talk to a professional. It's refreshing to hear you say that. So yeah. in a perfect world, you would sell your house, go to closing. It's all done. You know what the proceeds are. You know what you have to work with. And then you would buy the next one. But most people, it doesn't work like that. And so, but if well, you and then did the move twice thing, which right, is expensive, right, and, and that's why most people don't do that. Because I suggested that a couple of different times, and and each time my wife said, "I'm not moving twice," and so I said, "Well, I guess we're not moving twice, are we?" <laughs> so, uh, but so what? What would interim? How? What? What's a good example of interim housing or some creative ideas for interim housing? Because Corhorn Basement, I do. Yeah, well, and that's always <laughs> that is always open. Um, but I, I do wonder if if someone's out there listening and thinking, well, I would like to have the proceeds of this house. I'm willing to move twice. What am I looking at a at a 12 month lease at an apartment around town? Or, or what what would I what would I be looking for? The easiest, most ideal is if you have loved ones, friends, or family that could put you up and you can put your things into a storage facility. A client that you guys referred to me had mm-hmm. the privilege of living with her daughter and son-in-law and granddaughter for awesome. nearly six months. And and it was really awesome bonding time for grandma and granddaughter. Oh, cool. Really awesome bonding I was going to say, if you want to keep them as loved ones, <laughs> make sure you're very aware of when you're going to move out. And that is fairly right. well communicated. But, but you can maybe ask for a 60 to 90 day closing period instead of the typical 30. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you can and, you know, stay there. I had a buyer to purchase a home that the seller was building, which I know we want to talk about mm-hmm. later is building. And so the seller was able to say, we're not moving out until. And my buyer wanted the house and was able to stay where they were and say, great, we'll buy it and we'll give you, you know, all this post-closing possession where they rent back the house. I don't know. Maybe it might just be me, but thinking about all of that in the financial implications and the real life implications just makes me sweat. And I just will tell you, I will encourage you right now, make sure you've got a trusted realtor Mm -hmm. in your corner to help you with all these big decisions and make sure your certified financial planner is involved in that process as well. Because there's big financial implications and then there's real life implications. And where that messiness of life meets is between a competent realtor, you and your certified financial planner. Let's talk about the buying process then. So someone's looking at Buying, I don't know, maybe their house is already listed or maybe they need to talk to you about that too. But what's the process like for a buyer when they call Inspired? So again, we're going to hook them up with the agent who seems to fit their personality, the area in town that they're looking and has bandwidth because you want to make sure that someone can give you the kind of attention that you need. And so we're going to hook them up. We set up a search. Are they looking in both states? Are they looking just in this area? What what exactly are they looking for? There's certain things that you can put in, number of bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, acreage, that kind of stuff you can put in. Oh, I want open concept. I want um, to make sure 
you know, I don't know, that the the kitchen's updated or whatever, you can't really put that into MLS for your search. So mm. those you just kind of have to manually look at and see what it looks like through the pictures, which if you're just looking on Realtor.com, which is my favorite, don't look at anything else but Realtor.com or maybe Remax.com. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the, the pictures can be deceiving. You can have pictures that look fabulous and the house is a little more tired than it looks. And you can have pictures that aren't that great because maybe the photographer that took those wasn't the, the most skilled photographer and the house is way better than the photos look. So, mm. you know, don't count on everything. But, yeah, look and see. Is it got the open concept that you want or whatever else? So, you know, another quick, you know, talking about going online. Um, because we found our first house online while working with the realtor, and we found our second house through Diane. We did not see it online, and she found it for us. And right now, with how strong the housing market is, those good houses are going before they'll even land on Zillow. Right? Well, and we're sending out postcards to neighborhoods saying, I've so, got a buyer that wants something in your neighborhood. Are you considering selling? And work with a realtor because they'll have the inside scoop before maybe it even hits the internet. So speaking of all of this, I've mentioned it a couple times. We need to talk about new construction. We've got that and a couple listener questions about houses coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike here with Kevin Corhorn and special guest realtor with REMAX 100, Diane Bennett. Thank you to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as thank you, Diane Bennett, for making the Wise Money Show possible. Uh, We've been talking about Diane's state of the housing market address, what's going on if you're selling, what's going on if you're buying, and what should you be doing if you're thinking about building? That's coming up in just a second. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us a few different ways. Let me just remind you, wisemoneyradio.com. 574-222-2000. 574-222-2000. You can call or text 574-222-2000. Every episode's on YouTube. Check it out. Subscribe. Hit that little like button if you like the content. And Facebook and Twitter as well. Just search Wise Money Radio. Oh, podcast as well. You got to type the whole thing in. Uh, Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, iTunes, Google Play. All right, Diane. I So I've lived here. God brought me down here from, or actually right out of, East Lansing, Michigan, graduated from Michigan State. Before that, I grew up, born and raised in Grand Rapids. And I've been here since 03, and I've never seen as much construction in this area as right now. Oddly enough, right after going through this period where everyone said, well, you can't build anymore in St. Joe County, pretty much all of the spots to build are gone. No. Legacy's got their big development that they're doing. Klein has two developments, I think. I mean, so how, you know, you're a realtor, so you're not necessarily involved a lot in the building, although I'm assuming you... Oh, no. You, we have buyers that want to build, for Okay, sure. so, so, so break down all the new construction, how that impacts the housing market, kind of what your take is on all of that. So the first thing I would tell you is you've got to look at price point because you really can't build new for less than high twos. At, at the most, yeah. at the least. And and they're, most of them are the much more expensive homes than that. Right. So that's the biggest thing. It's just not cost effective for a builder. They can't build a home that, that inexpensively. So you've got to look at existing if you're in those lower price points. Um, the second thing would be when you're considering a builder, I would hire a realtor for that. because really? Yeah, I would. Because you want somebody that's in your corner helping make sure, you know, the builder wants to take great care of you because he wants 
to have a great reputation. He wants you to sing his praises when he when you're done yeah. so that he can keep building in the area. But even though he does, he's still trying to be careful with his own bottom line. He's got, you know, employee issues. He's got to make sure he's got enough staff to do the different things. And what about supplies? You know, can he get the wood and the flooring and the whatever else he needs to build your home? You know, he's got to work on all that stuff. So he can't always be thinking about your best interest. So if you hire a realtor to walk you through the process, I highly recommend it. It's going to help you make, you know, decisions. Oh, hey, Miss Realtor that's working for me or sir. Um, what you know? What's going to sell better when I sell this? Yes. If I'm going to live in it for ten years or twenty years, you know, I still am likely to sell it again. So let me make wise decisions. It's not just for what I want, but also to think about resale when you're building. So there's that. Those we, are those are things to ask. You've got to be thinking about resale when you're buying or building, and, and, and but especially in the building, you know, you might say I love these light blue floors and you know these bright purple counters. That's perfect for my taste. Well. Maybe, but you also need to think about when you sell the place. Let me let me ask you this. Sellers right now who are looking to build, how do you coach them through that process? Because the build, they've you know, could take what nine months, maybe, and they they're all the builders are busy. So could take a while, but a seller probably wants to capitalize on the housing market right now before interest rates continue to rise and so on. How do you coach them through? Is that back to the Hopefully you've got family in the area or... And it's back to the, have you spoken to your financial planner? Because your financial planner can tell you what kind of situation you have. So, you know, if you're if you're in a good, stable financial situation, I think you're fine to stay in your house and try and sell it next year. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't right. know what next spring is going to look like or whatever. But it, it's probably the most cost effective to stay right where you are and mm. sell later. That's probably the most cost effective and least headache. It's almost like I planned it, but that's a great segue into <laughs> into a question from fan of the show, Chuck. Chuck is from Osceola. Here's what he said. About a month ago, my neighbor put his house on the market, and it sold for the full amount within a week. With prices that high, I just decided to test it. I've heard this from other people. Just, oh, I don't really need to sell. I'm just going to see. And we ended up selling our house for about 25000 more than what I expected. We didn't have a plan on what to buy next. So we're thinking about building. What steps do we need to be aware of financially to go through this? Diane or Kevin, who, who wants to start with, uh, with helping, helping Chuck here? Because my answer would be start with your financial planner. Let's go with Kevin. What would you tell him first? This is what I would tell him. I would say, Chuck, if, if, the, if your team will allow it, I would rent a place. I'd sign a 12 to 18 month lease and I would get settled. I'd get a bunch of stuff in storage and I'd really simplify. And then I would, that takes all the pressure off because when you don't have walk away power, when you've got some sort of pressure on you to make a decision and that decision is one, is going to be one of the bigger financial decisions you're going to make in your life, you are in a bad spot. So if you want to have, Chuck, you want to have that kind of self-awareness to recognize where you are. And so I love the idea of finding a place that you can just be stationary for 12 to 18 months. And you say, well, what if we get the house built in nine months and we have three months left on the lease? If you look at the finances, you've sold your house at at a a, a 12-year high. 
it's in there. It's in there. You can walk away and pay an extra three months of rent, yeah. and you'll be you'll be just fine. You'll be much better off than if you if you had made a bad decision in the interim. I, I cannot agree more. I'm telling you, in in nearly 12 years of selling real estate, the ones that had deadlines that had to be in by struggled in their negotiating power all day long. And I also recommend don't close until everything is done that you want, which you can't do if you have to be in the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if if the timing is requiring that you must be in by, you lose negotiating power. Sometimes you'll close earlier than everything's done. And then you're trying to do things after the fact when they're already closed and they already have their money. And not that they don't want to take care of you because, again, they want to worry about their reputation. But you're just so much better off if you can wait and have everything done before you close and yeah. then it's smooth. So when you're well, when you have this pocket of time in this case, Chuck, I would also recommend you're going to do at least two budgets as well. And I know that's kind of nasty, but in this interim time, your your expenses, your cash flow is going to look very different. But also when you get into the new house, guess what? The old furniture is not going to look as nice. <laughs> uh, you know, So there's going to be things that you're going to want to buy as well. So you've got to build a budget and set some goals yes. for that interim. Okay, here's what the new cash flow situation looks like. And hopefully here's how much I can start saving because I'm out of the old house and I'm just renting or whatever. But then you also need to be aware of what the new budget is with the new mortgage with the new house and so you'll want to build both of those work with your certified financial planner on that let's uh let's sneak this next question in it's a great one from sally it's a tough situation though um sally's from osceola as well and says i'm recently divorced i'm looking to buy a home but i'm really struggling to know how much i can afford my my finances aren't that great but I have about $30,000 from the settlement from the divorce that I assumed would go towards a down payment. Here again, this just illustrates how you need a great realtor on your team, but you also need a certified financial planner. I don't know how you make this decision without both of those very competent professionals in your life. So again, I would open it up to the two of you. How, how would you start helping Sally here? So again, I would I would also recommend that she talk to her certified financial planner because... I don't know what her finances look like. Sometimes people are concerned about working with me because, you know, I don't know you and I don't know if I, if I want to tell you all my fina- finances. You know what? I'm not asking financial questions. The lender that you work with, and I have a list of lenders I recommend, they're going to tell you that. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the first steps when they come as a buyer. I'm going to send them to a, a, a reputable lender who's got experience and gets the deals closed and knows how they're advising and has high integrity. And then I'm going to have them talk to their certified financial planner about, you know, what can they afford? Can they do a three and a half percent down loan and keep some of that money for, you know, anything else that they need if they need to buy furniture afterwards or whatever? Can yeah. can they or is the PMI that they pay when they have less than twenty percent down going to be too high for them? And those are questions that they need to talk to their their financial planner and their lender. Yeah, and I would say, Sally, talk to your financial planner because when you've gone through a traumatic event like this. Y- it it's going to feel bad, especially if you feel like you're taking a step back. And so this is where you really want to deal with the internal finance side of this. And um, so, Mike, take it away. <laughs> Diane's got to run. Thanks for being with us today, Diane. How do people find you online? A team at inspiredhomes.com is our email address. Website is inspiredhomes.com. Awesome. Thanks for being on. We look forward already to having you back next time. Thanks so much. More listener questions coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. If you plan on helping grandkids with college and want to open up a 529, do you need to open up a 529 plan for every single grandchild? That's a great question coming up here from Tom. That and more. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group coming to you from the KFG studios. My name is Mike. Across from me, Kevin Corhorn. Diane Bennett with Remax 100 was our special guest on the program today. She had to run. She had actually another video interview and uh, engagement. So we appreciate her being on the program. If you missed anything, I would encourage you to catch up on this episode and others. You can do so. My favorite way is on YouTube. You can find us, find the YouTube channel at Wise Money Radio there. You can also find it on podcast. Subscribe to that also. iTunes, Google Play. You got to search Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. That's K-O-R-H-O-R-N. Online, wisemoneyradio.com. And lastly, if you have questions, if you have issues, if you need anything, whatever, you can call us or text us, 574 574- Two 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 thousand. That's five seven four, two 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 thousand. We are into listener questions from fans of the show, and we left off with Sally's question, and, and I'm going to read it again just because there's a little bit more that we need to touch on here. We got Diane's input, but there's a, a touch more. Sally's from Osceola. Here's what she asked. I'm recently divorced. I'm looking to buy a home, but I'm really struggling to know how much I can afford. My finances aren't that great, but I have about $30,000 from the settlement that I'm assuming would go towards the down payment. So, Kevin, what else stands out to you? Well, Sally, first of all, Sally, thanks for the question. And what stands out to me about this is that when people go through a traumatic event, there's often a, a season where they're in some sort of a fog or haze and they're not able to make great decisions. And then you say, well, what kind of decisions do I need to make? Well, if you need to make a housing decision, that's a pretty big and a pretty permanent decision. And the stakes are fairly high with that one. And it can be somewhat confusing because, Sally, you, if you said your finances aren't great, that's fine. That's not a problem. It would be a problem to stay in that state. Yes. Or yes. or to buy a house that ensured that you would be saying my finances aren't great for the next 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. So I would really, really, really encourage you to find a financial planner. And again, this is one that's certified. And it's confusing because when when you look at financial planners, um, you, you might see, oh, well, this is a name that I've heard of, so I'm going to go talk to them. And maybe they only sell investments. So it is confusing. So look for a certified financial planner that does financial planning, because Mike earlier in the show had referred to the idea of doing two budgets. Most people don't want to do one. (laughs) And I went out there... (laughs) <laughs> and that's fine. Work with a certified financial planner because it, then that person can help you with both of them. Yeah. And the second one, once the first one is done, the second one's fairly easy. And look at it. And, and Sally, maybe you're looking at two different versions of your life. One version of my life is I'm all house all the time. All my money goes into a house and I want a certain kind of house because that's what I was used to living in. Or you say, no, I'm willing to kind of um, 
skinny down on my house, my housing expectations. I might not need as much as I had before. And it's confusing because you say, no, you know, we have four children and I want to be able to have a place where these four children can come to. And I have done the math with folks and said, hey, look, you, you, if you bought this smaller house, you'd save enough money to have all four kids and their families at a hotel for a weekend once a month if you wanted to. Right. And you, they don't want to. It's just, it's, you know, three or four times a year. So I say, okay, well, look, you can easily host them in a hotel, in a bed and breakfast, in an Airbnb around town and and get them together. And granted, it won't be at your house. But if you have this bigger house and this bigger payment and these higher taxes and higher utilities and higher maintenance, all this stuff. So it's it's really, it's really important Sally, to get in touch with what's really important to you. We we try to uncover your core values and then find a way to attach your core values to what you're trying to achieve financially. It's not easily done, but if you're willing to do the work, the rewards are so great. What I would underscore is, is um, that you mentioned your finances aren't great, and I would just tell you um, that's that may have been the case before divorce. Divorce really upends your finances. And so this is a very critical point for you to make some great financial decisions mm-hmm. so that you can get on a better path. But I would also underscore the emotions at work here. You are grieving. You're, you're grieving. And, and it's just hard to make really clear, great financial decisions in wherever you are in the stages of grief. Um, I had a, a client about 10 years ago who reached out to me um, a week after her husband tragically died. And sure enough, she was very quick to say, so I got to sell the house and I got to do these sorts of things. And I said, listen, we're just going to wait for 12 months. We're going to wait 12 months before we make a big financial decision like that. She's still in the same house. Ten years later, she's come to me at least twice a year with a housing decision that's different every time. But we have saved thousands of dollars by just being patient. Now, don't let your imagination fool you. I'm not telling her no, and so she just keeps trying to get out of it. No, she's just trying to figure out what she wants, what her new life needs to look like as a widow. And so... Anyway, um, let's jump to Tom's question next. Tom is from South Bend. He says, I'm thinking about starting a 529 plan for my first grandchild. The problem comes in is that I hope to have more grandkids in the future. Yeah, you don't have full control over that, do you? Do I set up one for each of them? That's a great question, Tom. We get this all the time. I'd first applaud your desire to help out with college. Number one, it should help you on your taxes. Right. If you're doing it the right way, working with the certified financial planner, depending on your situation, said you live in South Bend, if you're paying Indiana state tax, use the right 529 plan and you should be able to get some benefits there. But then second, I love the idea of you um, leaving a legacy, if you will, passing on and a, a challenge and an opportunity to grandkids. So what do you do when you have no idea when you've got the first one? But maybe that's the only one, or maybe there'll be seven. What do you do? Yeah, well, Tom, I would, my personal preference is to start with one, and you can annually put up to, let's say, $250,000 into that. We're likely not talking about that. So let's talk, most folks are looking at putting, you can put 
you can get a 20% credit on up to $5,000 contributed. So most people think, well, you know, my limit is 5000 It isn't. It's no. way bigger than that. But for for most people, they say, hey, I'm going to put the 5000 in. That'll get me $1,000 back on my Indiana taxes. So that's a good place to start. And, if you, and then you say, well, then where do we go beyond that? Then what I would encourage you to do is for the parents – Encourage the parents to set up a 529, if the parents live in Indiana especially, encourage them to set up a 529 plan for that grandchild as well. And then as birthday money comes in or Christmas money, things like that, they can be funding that because, because Tom, you put your 5,000 in, you get your 1,000 bucks, your children, uh, parents of the grandchild can do the same thing. They can get a $1,000 credit. And when mm-hmm. when you think about that, think you you get one per household. So you get $1,000 credit per household. Yep. Yep. I like the idea of starting with one as well. Even if you end up having eight grandkids, you, you can slice that thing up out there in the future. You can open up a second 529 plan at some time out in the future. And if so if you end up just having two grandkids, okay, you wait until the first one gets uh, maybe junior year of high school. You're dumping all the money each year into this one account. You, get, you wait till that one's maybe the oldest is a junior in high school, and then you just open up a second account, cut the account in half, and split it that way. Or divvy it up into threes or fours or five but i you know i'm still fairly squeaky and so i'd leave it in one account and the accounts cost 10 bucks a year so yeah just just leave it in one before that though tom i would encourage you to have a discussion with your spouse if you're married about what the plan is and you might even want to have a discussion with your kids so that there isn't any confusion, role confusion. And then set up a goal. I love the goal of we're going to help with just books, okay? Or we're going to help with the last year of school or something like that. But make sure there aren't any assumptions out there that could cloud up um, what the real intention here is. So thanks for the question. Great question. I want to also thank Diane Bennett for being on the program with us. Again, if you missed anything, you can find it on the YouTube channel or, on, or online. That is all the time we have for today, folks. On behalf of Kevin Corhorn, myself, and all of us at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.